Hi there, and welcome home to the Two Story Podcast. I'm your host, Elena, and today I'll be chatting with my favorite Canadian, Miss Tiffany Pellerin. Tiffany's an agent here at Keller Williams Realty Acadiana in Lafayette, Louisiana, and she's a top producer here at our brokerage, selling 28 units at $5.5 million in volume in the year 2020. Tiffany's one of my greatest friends and dedicates her time to being a mother, real estate agent, ALC chair, and much, much more. I'm so excited to learn more about her story today. Tiffany has quite the backstory. She was born in Canada and graduated college with a degree in hotel and restaurant management. She spent a summer in Japan, worked at Disney World, and lived in Las Vegas, all before moving here to Lafayette. All these things, I'm sure, have contributed to her real estate success, and we're going to find out just how in a little while. Today, we'll be talking about Tiffany's life and journey before and in real estate. I hope you love this episode as much as I love Tiffany. Let's get started. Great. Great. On this rainy day. It is a rainy day. It's kind of gross out. You can't see this at home, but it is super gross. It's gross. Super duper gross. Great day okay. to wear open toe shoes. Did you wear open toe shoes? Totally. It's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, you grew up in Canada. Right? I did. Where in Canada did you grow up? Vancouver, well, right, right outside of Vancouver. So far west coast, a lot of people go, oh, Canada, it's so big and wide. And you say Vancouver and they look at you blankly. But all the way west coast, like above Seattle, mm-hmm. um, in the a suburb of Vancouver, I mean, we say Vancouver, but really Port Coquitlam, oh. which is about 45 minutes from the city that's, in the burbs. What a name. Port Coquitlam. Yeah. That's where you grew up. Yeah. Well, from about maybe 12 up. And um, before that, Maple Ridge. Oh, how Canadian. Isn't it? And my mom calls it Maple Ridge. <laughs> but it's really Maple Ridge. Maple Ridge. <laughs> Maple Ridge. Okay. So in Port Coquitlam. Coquitlam. Mm-hmm. Tell me about one. You can just call it Poco. Poco. I like that better. <laughs> or That's Pocompton. But only if you're from the north side. Okay. 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 Poco. So in Poco, tell me something fun that you would do there. Um, Okay. So, well, I'll tell you a couple interesting things. Um, When we moved to Poco, um, there was only one high school on that north side, Pocompton, but two junior highs, right? So we went, I went, obviously, to the the junior high on the south side, right, where I where I lived. And then they did build um, a high school, and we were the first graduating class. So when we went over there, they, you know, as a new school often does, they slowly add a year as you, yeah. as you go forward. So um, we ended up being the first graduating class. So that was kind of, you know, you never – you never know when you're in it or when you're in it and you're a teenager, it seems so cool, right? And you start the traditions of, you know, filling the atrium with the balloons and grad week and, and stuff like that. But looking back, you know, we were the first group of people to graduate from that school and onward came, you know, that was not yesterday, 20 something years ago. So, um, you know, my brother went on to graduate there, and now my kids, my friends' kids kind of go there. That's kind of interesting, you know? Aww. But it was it was neat to be on that, in that growth, and especially now that I'm in 
real estate and so aware of community and growth and things like that, you look back and I think, man, what a huge part of the the city's growth I was part of. You didn't even realize it. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you guys do for fun on the weekend? Yeah, because I totally didn't answer your question. Um, okay, so uh, like you guys have here in the States, we never had like football, Friday night football, that kind of stuff. Um, all our friends played hockey. So we'd hockey. hang at the rink, right? The rink. At the rink, at the ice rink. <laughs> and for most of the year, like the, we go skating and have, you know, ice rinks and things like that um, year round, right? If you put, it's cold. But just like if you think about, you know, the, the teenage sports here, if you're serious about baseball, you probably play baseball all year round. If you're serious about football, you train all year round. If you're serious about hockey, you're ice skating all year round. <laughs> but in Vancouver, you know, you have that like that stereotypical vision of like in Canada, they must skate on ponds all year round. Not in Vancouver. Vancouver is really mild weather. So um, we had the the pleasure of nice, warm, mild summers and then milder winters. So not tons and tons of snow outside. It's not like I was ever in the you know, when you, you picture, like, you open the door and the snow's yes. three-quarters of the way high. Yes. Not at my house. Oh. So, um, but I wasn't a very, like, sporty kid. I did, um, I was in a couple of youth groups when I was when I was younger, um, some art stuff in school, uh, but never never super sporty or outdoorsy. Uh, I, I think back now, and when I go home, I, I love the outdoors that we have in Vancouver because it's so mild and so beautiful. And we have, you know, you can go snow skiing and water skiing on the same day if you're there at the right time of year because <laughs> because you're right on the coast and there's mountains right there. Like in the city, there's, you know, skiing and snowboarding well through the spring. Um, the spring? That's the spring. not spring. That's winter. That's just no, winter's friend. spring months. Okay. Oh, yes, yeah, winter's friend, spring. Yeah, right. But up on the mountains, there's still snow, so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Cold. But, like, junior high, I think, like, okay, what did we do on the weekends? Like, we obviously didn't go to the football field like all the kids here do. But we went to the skate park. And I Because I'm so old. No, no, skateboard park. You went to the skateboard park. Yeah. Oh, that's different. Yeah. Totally different. But it's, yeah. But I'm old, so that's what we did back then. Well, that's what some people still do now. Right. Just they the just, cool ones. Right. They right. just do it a little differently. True. They do it to be cool. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that you were in some youth groups. Yesterday when you and I were talking, you said that it was Masonic yeah. youth groups. Tell me tell me more about that mm-hmm. and what that means. Okay. So, um, you know, you think of like the Masonic Masons, right? Shriners, the Shrine Circus, the Shrine Hospital for Children, that kind of thing. Um, that Masonic family is a, um, right now I, I really couldn't uh, regurgitate the history of, of all of this, but Masons and Maso- the Masonic fraternity essentially for men has been around for hundreds of years. Um, there is all over the place, Canada, the United States, youth groups that are Masonic related. There's one for boys and there's one for girls. Um, my grandfather uh, was a mason. He was in a number of different lodges and, and participated in that in his adult life. And you think about like, you know, the Elks, men's group, whatever. Um, 
this is the Masons, you know, Masonic fraternity. And the, the youth group for girls was called Job's Daughters. It's a faith-based, like as Masons is. And then the boys was called Demolay. Um, my mom was never part of, we called Jobies for short, Job's Daughters, when she was young. But my aunt did for a minute. But, you know, it's not for everybody, right? Um, and so it, it's from ages 11 to 20. So it's a big span, you know, yeah. all the teenage years, really. Um, and I joined right when I was 11. It was very exciting for my granddad, and he was around and able to be part of what I was doing. And, and you know, it's nice to see your own traditions pass on to your children and your grandchildren. So that was lovely. Um, but I really enjoyed it and um, stayed part of that all the way up to 20 and a little further, actually. Um, <clears throat> There was also a boys one my younger brother was part of, but you know how boys are. They can't do anything without the girls. So even though the boys youth group was called Demolay and it was just for boys, they had um, a little cohort of, of girls who would come to the meetings and like, you know, they needed girls to come to the dances and stuff. Otherwise, oh, right, right, right. So, um, so and I also participated in, in that one as well. Um, Job's daughters really, like I said, faith a faith-based founded like Masons, and the book of Job is in the Bible. Um, and you probably don't hear me talk about this kind of stuff very often. Um, but the, you know, the principles that I took and learned from that, I really think formed who I am. Um, as a as a eleven year old, you're the youngest in the room. You don't remember your speaking lines you don't know what to do and where to go and and um and you know there's everybody's got a little job but when you're 11 you're I mean I think about Hudson Hudson's 11 he can barely follow directions to get his teeth brushed and get in bed on time right but and then as you stay in it and you kind of climb the ranks a little bit and you eventually run the meetings and plan the events and do the fundraisers and all these kinds of things and I think it really um Probably as a young person, it helped me feel included. Um, here, talking about Hudson again, I was speaking with him the other day about um, he's feeling a little weird with his friends at school. And I kind of said, you know, like I was not the cool kid at school. Um, I was involved in a little bit in all kinds of different things. So I was never fully immersed in just one group of people. But I think at 11, when you really do want to belong, having that outside of school, completely different group of people, youth group, it gave me another whole, I could be a different person there than I was at, you know, middle school, junior high. Um, and really taught me to accept a, a whole variety of people because it was mostly not people who were in my school. So I was exposed to a whole different group of people, um, mm -hmm. different crowd, right? And then as I grew up in it, uh, uh, you know, well, you know me now, I. I love to run things. <laughs> yes. And so I did. I, I, you know, I at 16 and then again at 20, um, I was the, the leader of the, uh, of the, the group for the six-month term that you, that you do and planning the surprise events for the young girls and the fundraisers to, you know, to keep the thing going. And um, we would do community service and we would often go to the Masonic the, the, the men's fraternity meetings, right? The Masonic meetings and 
um, like do a potluck dinner, serve dinner, do this stuff, all of this, you know, craft shows, cool stuff. We also traveled a little bit across the border because we were so close to the, the U.S. border and there was another chapter that was across the border. So we would go to their meetings and we made friends from, you know, I had friends from different countries, you know. We'd go for weekend trips with the, the big group of girls and it, it taught us how to dress well because we would go to events and we would have to dress in a formal dress and, you know, you'd do your hair. And I remember going to, at, at 16, I went to one of these things and there was a girl there and like she had never, she didn't have a mom in her world and she had never like, nobody had ever taught her how to like shave her underarms. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and so, and that probably plays part of the the mothering part of me, you know? Um, I am a bit of a caretaker, you know, I wanna, I and I wanna make sure everybody's good and happy. So I think these things formed me, you know? Um, I don't know that I'd be exactly who I am without having been a, such a, that's had such a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. It also gave me something special with my granddad that was just for us, you know? Um, I have some cousins and they live in a different province, so they weren't there and they didn't have the same thing as me. It just gave me something special that I connected with with my granddad about. And for a, a long time after he passed, right, he passed away and um, I was graduated. I was out of that. I was in my late 20s, but it kind of made me want to go back and be part of it again as an adult and serve the youth. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, that answers what my next question was going to be, which is what was a life-defining experience for you? But we'll we'll move on to the Skip. next one. Got it. <laughs> so you ended up going to school for hotel and restaurant management. I did. Um, why did you choose that, or what drew you to be passionate about that? Well, I really thought in high school all along that I was going to be a teacher. Um, and I went to community college for just general studies. Um, I really wanted to, you know, I've just told you, you know, in all my teenage years, I worked with, or I was always in a group with often people younger than me and then some older than me. So the beauty of that kind of thing is you get, you have the people to look up to and to, to kind of mentor you and you get to mentor the younger ones. So it really is a beautiful thing. Um, and I really thought that I wanted to be a teacher, right? And so I went for general studies and then um, quickly realized, and quickly realized I'd worked in a couple retail jobs. Not my jam, really. Um, I did a little stint in like an interior design studio in high school to see if I liked that. Not my thing, really. Um, I learned my pretty handwriting from that girl, though. Um, And then hotel and restaurant management screamed at me like, hey, this is great. You can go places with this. It will take you all over the world. It's probably not that hard, you know. Um, and if you wanted, I really wanted to just live, but you got to have something to fund it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, so it just seemed perfect. And, and I, so my second semester at college, I ditched all those general courses, you know, I was failing history anyway. <laughs> and then, um, and then started that hotel and restaurant management. It was a two year program. Um, I just, just kind of screamed like, this is it. This is your vehicle to go all around and do whatever you want to do. And experience life so what class in school in that major did you enjoy the most well not accounting well I don't think any of us enjoyed 
accounting classes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know what? I don't have a, I'll be really honest here. I don't have a like strong recollection of any classes from college. I don't either. I know that I was flunking out of that history class. So I had, because of the Job's Daughters affiliation, I had a lot of bursaries and scholarships. We don't have tops there. So you're kind of on your own, or we didn't then. Maybe we do now, because again, I'm ancient. Um, I don't have tops. I don't think tops is a thing outside of Louisiana. Well, but other wrong. states must have something else. I don't know. Sure. Anyway, um, so I applied for every bursary and scholarship through Job's Daughters and all the Masonic families and all the Masonic relations, and I got a fair amount, right? So it funded my school for a little while. Uh, my parents made a great deal with me. They said we will, we will pay, we will split everything with you. Um, but if you fail, you have to pay us back our half, Ooh. right? Um, and it was in town, so I could live at home and all of those things. But, you know, when you buy a $143 textbook, you think, oh, my God, don't fail. <laughs> you know? Can't fail. Because, yeah. Can't do how, this. I don't, host, I don't have an extra $71 to, to pay it back. So um, I, like, I don't have any strong I – can, I can tell you what – like, I can envision being – in the big atrium of college and being in the cafeteria. And I don't have super tight friends from college. Like I just went, did my thing. And every summer I went and did something else. So it wasn't like I was home and we worked at the same restaurant down the road together. <clears throat> every opportunity I got, I bounced. Sure. Right? So I don't, like, I just did the thing. I don't, next question. I don't okay. Know. <laughs> I really don't have any memory of a particular class except for flunking out the well, and struggling in the accounting classes. I don't I don't recall many of my college classes either. I have maybe a few professors that I remember, but yeah. I don't I couldn't tell you a actual class that I took. So Yeah. Um I, I'm just interested in that major. I don't remember that being an option for me and so I didn't yeah. know if there was anything well, I, I mean, I wasn't at a big university. I was at the community college, and I was looking for, like, a two-year program to get me to the next thing. I was going to do all the things I could do at the community college to become a – to do all my bachelor associate degree right. stuff. You could do them cheaper at community college mm-hmm. and then just go do a year at university for the big bucks, right? Um, what, I do, what I do know is that being in that hotel and restaurant management program brought me to all of my – next rounds of adventures right I went on like every summer three three in a row or I went on these amazing adventures through that program so but I can't even tell you there must have been a somebody who was in charge of the program who brought all of these opportunities to us no recollection none whatsoever <laughs> those people didn't form me apparently well but thank you so much whoever you are <laughs> So speaking of those summers, you were in Japan for a time, mm-hmm. and you did not teach English. So what exactly did you do there? You started to tell me yesterday, and it I, it completely went yeah, over my we, head. Okay, so the Japan adventure was my second uh, college adventure. Um, so we learned about this program where you could get a, a work holiday visa to go to Japan, um, but the trick was you had to have a holiday visa that allowed you to work. So th- I really, looking back, I have no idea. My mom is amazing and wonderful and the most caring and very careful. I don't know how she let me do this. Um, if, if one of my kids brought this to me, I'd be like, this sounds like a scam. I'm never going to see you again. <laughs> anyway, so um, 
so you you would here was here was the thing you apply for the visa and it's a holiday work visa you're going on holiday but it allows you to work but of course as I had a job already lined up it was this opportunity where they said here's the thing you come and you work at this resort and we have all these different positions and it's three months and we only hire people from Canada England Australia New Zealand okay um, but you can't tell the visa people you have a job when you go apply for the visa okay and we're like okay and then you know eventually we get all the things and then we get on an airplane and go to Japan like Right. I mean, I was nearly an adult. Okay. So um, here was the job. You, This was a resort on the top of a mountain, kind of remote. All this sounds crazy. Um, pretty remote on top of a mountain. And it was set up like a little English village. There was a refect- re- refectory, which was the like dining hall. There was a tea shop. There was a craft place. There was um, a fitness center that had a pool. Um, and then there was a classroom. And the whole concept was um, uh, Japanese com- companies would send their businessmen there to learn the Western culture before they sent them overseas to go land the jobs. Oh. So, you know, as, as basic as this sounds, it, we, we cooked like very English food and, you know, taught everybody what kinds of things they'd find on a menu in a pub. Oh, there was also a pub, of course. Of course. Um, a, a tea, a, like a, the tea house that had crafts and, you know, whatever for that kind of thing. We would, there was a, they taught like water polo and like weird, <laughs> it was very strange, right? So Western. All West Western things, right? Um, and I got, got a job secretly in the, in the restaurant part right because that's where my experience was um so you know we, we lied to the border lady and they stamped our thing and we went there and we lived in this in the little housing thing and of course I didn't know anybody who was going because you know I'm a bit of a gypsy in that I was like well I'll go and f- meet people along the way there was one other person who was on my flight from Vancouver who Sally who I had um obviously never met we literally met we were messaging back and forth must have been email um she told me her seat number on the plane. So I didn't meet her until we were on the plane. I went over to see her on the plane. Aww. And we met each other there. We ended up being roommates and, and became friends then. I've since lost touch with her. But, um, you know, the world of Facebook, I see that she's a doctor and has a kid. But that's about all I know. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I went there, and it was kind of amazing. Um, that pub that I spoke of is where all the fun happened. There was of karaoke, of course, because you're in Japan, and this is the pastime. Um there was a, two like buildings that looked like castles that was where our, our little houses were. Um, once a day, there was a bus down the mountain to town, Fukushima prefecture area. At the bus stop, there was um, the best sushi I've ever eaten in my life. One of those ones with the conveyor belts. Where you take the little plates off and you just stack up your plates and then they charge you based on what colored plates you've eaten. Great. Um, there was like a 100 yen store, like the dollar store where I bought pretty much everything. Um, there was a fancy sneaker shop also. I bought everything. These really cool sneakers with like bamboo on them that are still in my closet at my mom's house. They don't fit me because I was a seven and I've had babies and now I'm an eight. Um, are you a seven? I'm 
a six. Okay, I'll well, forget it. Um, I mean, I'll try them on. <laughs> they're cool. They're like immaculate. Uh, so it was it was so cool. But if you miss the bus going back up, you're screwed. You're there for the night. Right. And so, you know, this was n- not yesterday. So I'm walking around with my, no smartphones in the world. So I'm walking around with my little translator book, my little pocket translator book, and um, trying to figure it out. But the cool part is the... English speaking was such a novelty in that tiny remote little town that almost anybody would help me to practice their English, you know, and I (laughs) wanted to practice my Japanese. Um, In the end, I did kind of hook up with a girl who actually spoke Japanese, and we traveled for a couple weeks before we went home, and it was a perfect situation. My my stepdad, David, knew somebody who had a, he had a friend who had a friend who lived in Tokyo in a little apartment. So they hooked us up, and we stayed there for a few days. Um, we went to Kyoto for a few days. Uh, so I traveled for a couple of weeks all around Japan on like, we would take night buses, places, sleep on the bus. It's cheaper. You just sleep on the bus. Right. And when you're 20, you can sleep anywhere. Um, and then we'd spend the day in the city, stay at a hostel or whatever, spend another day in the city, take another night bus. It was, it was rad. Um, and you then, climbed Mount Fuji. Oh, and while I was there, I climbed Mount Fuji. Yeah. So um, remember I said I was not super outdoorsy and, like, athletic? You did say that. But I wasn't going to pass that opportunity up. And I totally no. did. We did a night climb. So you actually leave at night. Like, you leave what? It, You leave in the late afternoon. And you don't die? Bears don't kill you? No, but you watch the sunrise from the top. Oh, okay. Right? Okay. And then you pretty much roll down. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and I... Again, you know how, like, I have, you have spotty memories of things that were so long ago. I remember at the bottom when we got back down. So the sunrise, it's incredible. Um, the air is weird that you stop and you do the oxygen things and, like, whatever. You mm-hmm. did, we stopped and slept for two hours or something. We had, like, a nap at this little hut somewhere halfway. Um, and we went on this bus tour, and there was, like, three white girls, and everybody else was J- Japanese, right? Um it was funny because they'd like help us order food at the little restaurants on the way, you know, on the <laughs> bus or whatever. But eventually we were just like, well, whatever, just order food because we don't have a clue. Um, sometimes there's like the plastic food in the front case. Oh, right. Right. Um, but I remember at the bottom, they were like, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? And I mean, yeah, I'm nearly dead. Um, and they said, eat the corn. And I'm like, the corn? But they had... Um, corn on the cob that was like roasted on a barbecue thing with some sort of spice and soy sauce on it and just it's breakfast time and I right now am what's the word salivating Salivating. just thinking about it and it was 20 years ago like I don't even know what it is and I think oh my goodness the best corn I've ever eaten in my life I don't even like corn so good yeah I, I I need to climb Mount Fuji now just to make the climb. Listen, worth it. you should do it before you're old because I think if you took me there now, I don't think I could do it. It was strenuous. How many miles is it? Mm-hmm. A lot. A okay. lot. Somebody should look that up. <laughs> I don't. I, I mean, I have a like I have a, a box of stuff under my bed at my mom's house with all mm-hmm. my Japan treasures in it. Um, I don't know. It's far. It's like I don't know what the height is. We should have a Jamie on yes yeah. on stuff. Jamie, can you look that up for us? Somebody chime in with the height of, <laughs> uh, of that. Um, 
But yeah, what an adventure and a thing I can check off and say I did. Sure. My kids actually looked up a couple months ago. Their dad told them, yeah, you mo- your mom climbed a mountain. And they, well, what mountain? Mount Fuji. And they were like, oh, really? And looked it up online and told me all about it. I can't remember. Told you all about it. <laughs> and I'm like, uh-huh, I Like did they've that. been there. Uh-huh, I did that. Well, they Googled it because that's the way of the world now. Sure. They learned everything on Google. Of course. I lived it. That's awesome. Yeah, what an adventure. That's a... Yeah. So speaking of adventures, you also worked at Disney. I did. My, this that was, was my that was my third adventure. Okay. Um, from this hotel and restaurant management. And you you permanently moved to Florida to yeah. work at Disney. It wasn't a summer no, fling a like Japan was. One year. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So was it an internship? You you said you like Disney. You is that a Okay, so... Tell me more. Tell me more. Okay, so this was another visa situation, but a legit one. Um, they do a... <laughs> you didn't lie. Yeah, it's an international... is either a K or a J visa that the United States gives to internationals to come and work for a year. It's a cultural representative visa. But of course... Wow. Of course, right? But uh, at, at Disney World, at Epcot, they have all the worlds around the lagoon, right? Right. Um, if nothing else, you must have heard of drinking around the world. Yes. At Epcot, right? Okay. Absolutely. Um, so I was a cultural representative. I worked at the Canada Pavilion at Epcot with a legit visa for one year. Um, it was after my program. I had graduated, and um, and I took the one-year cultural rep job. Two, two things. You can work in food and beverage, or you can work in merchandise. And, of course, my food and beverage experience, I worked in food and beverage. Of course. Um yeah. What drink did you guys serve for drinking around the world? All the beer. All the beer. Oh, so Moosehead beer. beer. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, Canadian beer generally has like a higher alcohol content than your watery American beer. Interesting. Right? Um, so if you're into beer, uh, usually Canadian beers have that higher content. We had a couple of like craft type beers in the restaurant, but on the promenade, which is where you always start, you start working at the, are you ready? I'm ready. You work at the popcorn cart where they serve the popcorn cart. Molson and Moosehead beer and popcorn. Or on the other side of the promenade, when I was there, there was a beaver tails hut. What is that? So a, <laughs> a beaver, and you wanted to be in the beaver tails hut because there was a little window unit with air conditioning in there. Oh. Because Orlando, coming from Canada, hot. we don't know how to function in that kind of heat and humidity. Um, the beaver tails hut is, it's kind of like a funnel cake, only it's not... Um, airy with holes in it. It's a solid pastry snack that's fried and then it has like cinnamon sugar and stuff on it. Oh. Um, so I worked those things dressed as, you know, the super stereotypical lumberjack. Roots, hiking boots, oh. khaki shorts, red and black checkered shirt, and a big hat. Oh no. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> Um, so that was the outdoor costume, right? Because you work at Disney, so everything's a show. And so right. that's the costume for outdoors. Um, and then I was very lucky uh, to promptly move inside to the restaurant <laughs> with the air conditioning. Yay. And the big tippers. Um, but you start in the restaurant at the host stand, seating tables to learn. And then they move you to food running to learn, which is a tipped position. Sometimes you work the beverage station. And then usually about the last third to half of your one-year stint, you're waiting tables there. Um, but it's a cultural representative 
program. Um, so it's very Canadian food, um, a lot of imported, like the PEI, Prince Edward Island mussels were on the menu, and they'd come from PEI oh. twice a week. Oh. Um, yeah. Um, you know, the beef was from Alberta. The it was It was really cool. But every piece of what you did had a cultural piece to it. So, like, the floor plan of the restaurant was all the different sections were named after the provinces. The bread that we brought had a story about um, sourdough bread and how they wore it in their coats to keep them warm and um, multi-grain bread from the prairies with all the different grains. Like, it was really cool, right? Um, and so each piece along the way had, had like, a cultural piece. A something yeah. to it. Right. Um, and also you weren't dressed as a lumberjack anymore. Uh, you were dressed like you worked in a fancy steakhouse. And oh, it, cool. the building was really cool. It was like a, a recreation of one of the famous buildings in Canada. And it was the restaurant was called Le Cellier. It's the cellar. Uh, and so it was kind of at the bottom. And it was dark like a wine cellar. Oh. Right? And um, just what, a, what an amazing experience. And, and I'd always been in the service industry. I'd worked at um, the Westin Hotel. I'd worked in restaurants. I worked at the Hard Rock all before that. Uh, and Disney is where I really found my, um, I, I really got to, I'd always, you know, I'd, I'd always, when I was waiting tables, you know, talk to the kids, not just the adults. I would always try and do something special. If there was an anniversary, I'd like, I always connected with people that way. But, but when I worked at Disney, they so encouraged those magic moments, right? And it was, it was such an amazing, amazing time where I could really affect sounds dumb, right? It sounds like, oh, you really affected their lives. No, but I made a magical thing for them. A lot of people, you know, go to Disney World, they take their kids, they save up for five years, they take their children on this one magical thing, one magical vacation. Um, it's very expensive. Uh, and uh, most people can't do that every five minutes. So you really, I really did get to make magic for people. You know, it was, it was amazing. It was the most amazing job I've ever had. And in my typical fashion, I was a trainer. I was asked to be a trainer. And when they want you to, to be a, a Disney trainer, you know, Jiminy Cricket pin and all, you have to go to <laughs> Disney University for a trainer's course. Oh. And then you have to pass and do the test and all the of course. things. Um, but you'd be amazed how, how elaborate the training and the, um, you know the procedures. I mean, maybe, maybe not. I mean, there's a reason that Disney has the best training sure. systems in all the world. Sure. Um, yeah. But what amazing memories! And I had always. That's where I met Mitchell, and then eventually we didn't. We did eventually get married, and I'd always planned to go back to Disney, but that plan changed along the way, and it was always something that I. You look back, and I thought, man, what would have happened if I would have gone back and been able to to work there more and would I still be waiting tables at La Cellier and would I you know would I have gone on to be a manager at Disney how what would my life be like right but instead of looking back I just took those things and I use them today oh yeah so you're gonna ask me some short questions huh? sure sure I'm just kidding (laughs) Um, if you could choose a Disney princess to be at Disney World, because that's a thing, uh huh, who would you be? Snow Where White. You? Snow White. Yeah, have this amazing um, memory. So okay, um, 
uh, around the promenade, right? Uh, they have characters in, in the different lands. Like now, when you go to the Norway section, that's where you'll find Anna and Elsa, right? right? And when you go to the England section, that's where Pooh and Piglet and Tigger are. Um, and Mary Poppins. Yeah. And Alice in Wonderland. And I always loved Alice. So um, people always said, Alice is short. I'm short. You could be Alice. You know, I was blonde. I was short. And you're like this, right? All the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... Uh, it's Snow White, so I have this memory, right? Snow White was in the German area. Um, and one morning, before the park was even open, so that, that half of the park doesn't open until 11, so you, you can walk the you walk to work, right? Across the, sure. how magical, around the lagoon. Um, and so I was walking to work, and I was walking past there, and um, and there was Snow White out, full full character. She was on She was on stage, so she wasn't backstage. She was on stage. And she was fully in it. She was twirling her dress. She was humming songs. Um, and and such a lovely, like, moment. Um, she's holding an apple, you know, with the poison apple. And uh, every once in a while she'd have, like, a dwarf with her. But they always had, like, a, can- a, a character handler, like a whatever. Um, but I always thought that that was just such a... Like, I love the outfit, the costume. I would always would have wanted to wear a, a black wig and be so prim and proper <laughs> and so joyful and happy and less spacey than Alice. <laughs> so for me, for me, it was it was Snow White all, all day. Like, oh. Cinderella, not a thing. Sleeping Beauty, not a thing. Number one, Snow White. Number two, Alice for sure. The adventure with Alice. She was so, you know... So brave, of course. But Snow White was so sweet and like, da, 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 da. and she was literally birds just were chirping, they swinging were on her thing. shoulder. Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, but it was so funny. The park wasn't open. The only people that she was seeing were people who worked there, full character, all the time. That's what I find so interesting about Disney is that the people that somehow they find people that really care about what they're doing, and really want to be there and do it and I'm sure it like some mornings you wake up and you don't want to be Snow White and you don't want to twirl your dress but around I think that when you put that I mean I wasn't a character I wasn't but when I put my costume on when I put my my uniform on for work you don't you don't get to have a for me you just check it at the door you don't get to have a bad day I'm a magic maker and I worked in a restaurant I didn't you know bring Chip and Dale to your table to to dance for happy birthday. That wasn't my thing. Not Chip and Dale's, Chip and Dale. Chip and Dale. Right. right. Of course. Okay. You know, the brown nose and the red nose. Yes. Okay. Uh, my mind didn't go there. <laughs> I just realized I said it really fast. <laughs> um, that wasn't, you know, I wasn't friends with Alice or whatever. When you say friends with, that means you dress up as them. That's your, uh, oh. What, what's your job at Disney World? I'm friends with Alice. That means you are Alice. Oh. Did you know this? No, I didn't know okay. that. Um, no, wasn't. You don't get to. You don't need to. You're at Disney World. It's the you happiest place Disney on earth. World. Every day. Every day, for a whole year. It was amazing. It sounds amazing. Yeah, let's forget this whole life and just go get jobs at Disney World. Right. I'm sure I know somebody. That. You definitely know somebody. Yeah, I'll take you. You want to go? Yeah. Okay. You can be <sighs> Snow White. Or Ariel. Or Ariel. Uh, Ariel sounds fun. Ariel always, um, because she has no legs, right? Uh, she's always in a inside when you go to visit her. So 
Boo always has the AC, so maybe Ariel's the answer. Smart. Uh Mm Uh-huh. Yeah, you didn't Mm -hmm. even know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so you mentioned that you met Mitchell while Mm -hmm. you were in Florida, and then you guys moved to Viva Las Vegas. Vegas. Yes. And you were an events coordinator, manager at the House of Blues? I was. So we moved there for his job. Um, and I didn't have a job, so I started to apply for jobs, and I applied for a job at the House of Blues. Um, I've always worked at places with big culture, much like here at KW. Sure. Like, the culture's always so strong where I work. It, you know, I, I feed off of that stuff. Um, so House, uh, House of Blues is no different. I mean, the culture's strong, the folk art and the blues music and the live music and all that. Um, so I applied for... A grown-up job. I had never been a restaurant manager before, and like, who in their right mind would hire me to rent, manage a restaurant in Las Vegas, of all places? You know, I waited tables and ran the host stand and whatever. Been a shift supervisor plenty, but never a manager. I applied and I got the job. It was my first salaried grown-up, big girl job. It's scary. Yeah. Also super exciting because. I'm a huge, I've always been a lover of live music. Mm-hmm. Um, I told you in high school, I was a little bit arty-farty. So, you know, the art and, the, and then the culture. And you guys put on live events. So did you coordinate those? Did you? So it's a pretty big operation. So there was always, like, talent managers that, that hired the talent and what, whatever. And then there was, so there was a music hall downstairs. And then there was two rooms of the restaurant upstairs. So I was a restaurant manager, so I worked on the on the upstairs. Okay. We served breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We also, wow. five nights a week, turned into, we had live music. Mm-hmm. And then two nights a week, one or both of our rooms turned into a nightclub. What? So I got the full Full experience. Span. Um, for a long time, I ran Thursday nights, which was Thursday nights unplugged, and we'd always have a couple of traveling unplugged artists from California, Arizona, whatever. Um, and we'd have, you know, three artists through the night. So the restaurant was functioning, but we were also having a, a gig, right? Um, that was great. And then when there was big stuff, of, oh, also gospel brunch on Sundays was a huge thing. And it was run by the restaurant people, but down in the music hall. And it was a big production on stage with this huge brunch. And we sold out every Sunday for all of eternity. There was never an empty seat. We did two seatings, tons of work, great money for the servers, loads of fun. Um, so, I mean, I worked in all the places. You know, I didn't cook a thing, but um, I didn't cook anything. You did a lot, though. But I did a you lot of those things. a lot of different. And the experience. Right. Right. Um, man, the weather is something. I know. It's like black outside. This is like very chill. It's eerie. Rainy. Are we going back to bed after this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go home. Rainy vibes up. FM. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was really amazing to do all of those different jobs in one place. Sure. Um, so I think we've been sitting here for probably a half an hour, and we have not said a word about real estate yet. So Isn't that funny? Uh, right. This is a real estate podcast? Well, not necessarily. Okay. Um, and part of asking about your life before was to learn about your life during. And so after all of those crazy adventures, which, to be honest with you, if I were you, I feel like I would have stayed there and done it forever because yeah. that sounds but really fun. you can't fun. do the next one if you stay there and do it forever. You're right. 
it's the, the S in me. I yeah. want to be at the same job for the rest of my life. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> no. So why you moved to Lafayette? Sure. We can get into that in our part two. Uh-huh. Um, why you did Origami Owl? Again, we can get into that in part two. Sure. Which we will have to have, as I feel that I do with all of the people that I've yeah. interviewed so far. Yes, in 2022, you'll do, okay, sure. next part of the We've story. We've run out of our 350 agents. Yeah. So let's start this <laughs> thing back up again. Um, so why, out of all of the things that you could have done, why real estate? So, you know, in in Vegas, I had Hudson Mm -hmm. um, in 2009 um, when we moved to wherever we live, Louisiana. Um, Blanked for a second. Wherever we are. This place, this rainy place. Um, I had just the one kid, but I really wanted to raise my baby, right? Um, And so I, you know, I worked a little job here and there. And then when I was pregnant with Henley, I found and started Origami Owl, home-based business, you know, which served me very well. Um, But I am not a stay-at-home mom kind of gal. I envy the people who can stay at home. Not, I'm not saying get to, because I do believe that, you know, that that's not the point here. I really envy those who, who can. Um, Everybody's filled, cups are filled by different things um, and need different things in their life. And thank God, because I'm so glad we're there. We're all different. Because I think it takes all types to make the world go round. Um, I did stay home for a little while. And my in my staying home time, I worked at Uncle Buddy's Flower Shop part-time. Then I did the Origami Owl thing, which means I went to different people's houses and did home-based parties. And I did craft shows and events and stuff. So my stay-at-home mom isn't the same as lots of people's stay-at-home mom. Look, I did crafts with my kid and made Henley bows and all those things, right? <laughs> um, just not my jam. I... Uh, I really thrive in an environment with adults where I can make a difference and be part of a bigger picture. And remember that culture? Like, the culture at my house is fine, but I need the culture of a big, big business. <laughs> so real estate, when I was in Vegas, I had a, my favorite manager, Ted. Um, he left, and he started, he followed his wife into real estate. Oh. And actually, just we can talk about real estate in Las Vegas for one second. In the end, when we ended, we bought our house in the big bubble, inflated bubble in Las Vegas in 2000, whatever it was. And then we sold our house in Las Vegas in 2009-10 when the bubble burst. Um, and we had to go through a short sale and all of those things. We actually hired Ted to do our, to be our real estate oh, agent. Ted. So he had, he had been my manager at the House of Blues for some time. We worked at another place together. And then he was our real estate agent. Um, and I always thought, well, that was great job, whatever. It wasn't my time. Um, when uh, when I did start in real estate, it was actually Wes, who's like name dropped on this show pretty regularly. Certain sounds, yeah, turns out. Um, <laughs> but Wes was uh, had known Mitchell from um, college, I guess, or youth group or something. I don't remember. Um, and then at some point, we talked about looking for a new house and called Wes, and then I met Wes. Um, and at, at some point I called him and I said, okay, so talk to me about this real estate thing. And he said, you know, I, I coach those classes, but I really need an assistant. And you're the kind of person who fits my business. And I said, I really don't want to go get a job till the little one, Henley, goes to school. This was my plan. Stay home, right? Air quotes, home, with all these other jobs I'm doing. 
until Henley's in kindergarten. And when both kids are at school, regular school hours, go work, mom. So I, I started being Wes's sort of assistant and, and, and I was assisting in this other um, coaching group that they had mm -hmm. um, here. And that was kind of my entry into real estate. It just sort of fit and I was just led to it. Um, but in natural fashion, I couldn't wait until Henley was in kindergarten to go get my real estate license and start my own business. So I did that a little bit earlier, but it, it just felt like the right time to do the thing I'd always been interested in. Right. Um, and I'm a mom. And although I thrive in at work, you know, again, the air quotes, um, I want to be in a, in a workplace with adults and, and making a change in people's life, which I, I recognize at 40 that that's like a theme in my life. Like I want to be part of something in people's lives. Um, it, it was just, it's the perfect mom job for me. My kids come with me to show houses. Sometimes they come with me to close. When I was at the beginning of my career, every time I sold a house, they'd pick a fancy restaurant, fancy like Outback. Um, you know, that was the beginning of my <laughs> on career, the river. right? Yeah, <laughs> on the river, also known as the flooded Outback. Anyway, um, but you know, like this was, it was, it was perfect. I could include my children. I never had to feel like, and I never have. Like most of my clients, they've met my kids once, twice. One, I announced Henley as my showing assistant. She turns all the lights on. She turns all the lights <laughs> off. You know, Hudson figures out how to work the key thingy. Like we, it's a family affair, you know. Um, it is, it's a great mom job because I can control the hours a little bit. Um, yeah, so that's why real estate. Uh, I don't want to punch a clock. I want to be part of something bigger, but I also kind of want to be in charge of my own self. So here we are. Well, um that kind of uh, ties into a lot of my questions that follow. And um, it's something that stood out to me is Jen and I talked about, I don't know if you listened to our mm -hmm. episode, Jen and I talked about this, like a need to be needed. Mm -hmm. And as I've grown in, in my life, probably in the past year or so, um, I've learned a lot about myself and that inherent need to be needed. Where, and I asked Jen this question, uh, where do you, what part of your life do you think led you to feeling that way? It, it sounds as though that's something that you have too. Yeah. It's, it's a feeling that you have as well. It is. It's, it's definitely a feeling that I have that, um, and I have done a lot of discovery and growth, you know, as, as life goes on, right? I, I am now a single mom, so I am divorced. Um, I did a lot of growing and discovering on the things that um, brought me to that place, right? Um, and, and having, for me, having, when I had Hudson, I had to really learn that it was okay to ask for help um, with just physical things, like I'm traveling in an airport and I was wearing a baby and trying to fold a car seat and a stroller and get the liquids out of the bag and, you know, people are cursing because I'm taking, I had to be like, okay, sir, can you please fold my stroller? You know, that was like big for right. me. Um, and and I've continued to, to grow in ways like that. It's a little different for me. I do, I do like to be, I like to be valued. 
Um, and I've recognized that, um, and I think you've heard me say this before, I don't need to be at the head of the table. I just want to sit at the table. When I'm at the table, I feel valued and like I, my opinion is valued. And, and I, you know, I think I have some good perspectives to share. I think everybody has a different perspective and the more differences you get around the table, the better the outcome. So it's, a, it's valued for me in the workplace, um, but it really is that I wanna be part of something that's life-changing for people. And I, I kind of mentioned it with the Disney thing, like I could make these moments that made somebody's vacation. And you know, I'm spoiled, I got to work at Disney World, but there's people who get to go one time in their whole life. If they have a moment where they feel special and I brought them a moose dessert, you know, with maple leaf antlers <laughs> cookies, you know what I mean? Sure. Like what a, what an incredible, and, and it made a moment for them. It sounds trivial. Here in this job, I'm, I'm, a, I'm helping people with a, ch- a huge change in their life. Whether you're a first time home buyer or a single mom who's putting a roof over your kids' heads or maybe you're just buying up or downsizing or whatever. Um, it's, a, it's a life moment. Again, I've sold 100 something houses, but most people just do it a couple times in their life, right? right. So it's, it is, I, I do like to be, you know, I realize that that transaction is kind of centered around me. So there's a little bit of self, um, you need me. Mm-hmm. Um, but even more so, it's the fact for me that I played a, a role. And even if they stay in that house forever and they never sell it or they never buy another one or they never refer me to somebody because they don't know anybody who's buying or selling because that's not their life or whatever, I still affect a change in their life. And that's the thing that fills me up. And um, you know, in the real estate world, we talk about your average sales price. Mine is not 300,000 <laughs> um, <laughs> because I, I want to sell a house to um, a $100,000 townhouse to a newly pregnant couple who just doesn't want to live in an apartment anymore. I want to sell a house to somebody who thought the, the best and only thing they could ever afford was a used trailer at the back of their mama's property with the overgrown trees and the mold in the floor. Um, I closed one the other day that, you know, for two years we've been working together to try and get them ready to buy a house because they can't, they couldn't get out of the place they were, which was $600 a month, mold growing on the walls. She was raising her two girls there, and all she wanted to do was put a better roof over their heads so they could build a life and not worry about their health. And I don't care if it's $108,000. Right. That was one of the best deals I've ever done. I changed their life. You know what I mean? Mm. Don't get sappy. Oh, don't do that. Ugh. Ew, no. Uh, okay, so d- to not be sappy, let's talk business. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so coming from and being from a completely different place and space, um, you didn't have much of a sphere built in, quote unquote. No. Uh, like you would if you were from Louisiana, like like I would if if I were to start a business. So, right. um, how would you say you built a sphere, or where did your business come from in your first year, or two years? Okay, a couple things, right? Um, yeah, wipe your eyes. 
for me, I was, remember I told you I was um, working with Wes and uh, I was his assistant and eventually he transitioned out of the buying and selling and right. into leadership. Um, and so I had a lot of hands-on experience with him. And I also worked in the office for a full year before I got licensed. Mm-hmm. So I knew a lot more than a new than the average newly licensed agent, um, which, which really served me well. Um, and remember, I was I did built that origami owl business that we kind of blew over for for True. for six five six years. Okay, I built this team of local ladies who wanted this side hustle. Um, I did craft shows. I did home based business parties. Like I'd go to your house and set up my jewelry, and you'd build your cute little locket and tell your story. And I, you know, lots of tears uh, in memory of my mom or my bucket list because I'm sixty now or whatever in these little charms and lockets. Right? It was amazing. It was connection with people and I helped them to commemorate a thing whatever it was sure I I realize I've done the same job over and over again just in different industries you know what I mean (laughs) um so I had a little bit of Wes's runoff business because he wasn't in production anymore and so he sent me some referrals we worked some businesses together as he was uh, some deals together as he was on his way out of buying and selling because they don't compete when you're in leadership right um so I had a little bit of that and I had um, and what a great opportunity because I was learning hands-on, right? Um, sure. And then I had my, what I had made as the people I had met. Um, I was always very good about, I sold you a locket, go be my friend on Facebook. Because when you're doing direct sales, um, and, and this, you know, Origami Owl is very much like Tupperware and Scentsy and all of those things, like, you need somebody to shop from your link, right? That's right. how you get paid. Um, buy my mascara and I'll make $8. And, you know, enough $8 is and you can take your kids on vacation. Um, but I was always really good about my social media. I would add people. Well, see when I have, we have sales twice a year. We only put things on sale twice a year. You better be on my Facebook because I'll blow it up on the 12 days of Christmas. You know what I mean? So I was really good and I had a really healthy, robust social media following of people that I had met once. Gotcha. Right? Um, I was I was really good at social media before that because my family's in Canada. My mom, my stepdad, my dad, um, his wife, my brother, all my friends and, and extended family, all in Canada. So the birth of social media was the way I showed them my kids growing up. So I posted lots of baby pictures and the funny things kids did. And when Hudson got the train stuck in his curly hair and like (laughs) all that stuff. Because you can't text 14 people the funny story. You just put it on Facebook and everybody gets to see it and ha, 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 right? right? All those Um, little pictures of little Muppet Henley. (laughs) Henley the Muppet. She's so cute. Absolute Muppet. She is. Gosh, she's so funny. Um, So I had a, I had a, what I didn't realize was that I had during my home-based business life and my team building in that, I had built myself a robust social media. So when I started to do real estate and my story changed my, you know, on social media, a little less jewelry and a little more houses and you know, there was already people on there. It was it was just a transition from one it to It was the next. and I didn't cut one off and start the other. Um, I in fact still if anybody wants to order jewelry, I do have a website. Um, but <laughs> I so I slowly trickled out of that and slowly trickled into real estate. So I never had a hard stop of either um, right. and a hard start. So it was it was a, a blending and then, um, and actually the house I put under contract yesterday was somebody who I sold a bracelet to. 
she said to me, I don't know if you remember me, but I met you at a, a high school craft fair. And I said, hold on a second. She said, I met you at a high school craft fair and I made a locket for my daughter. And I said, hold on. Was it outside at Nish and the weather was bad and you made her a wrap bracelet? And she went, yeah. And I went, oh, I remember you. I of couldn't course. have told you her name until she messaged me and said, I don't right. know if you remember me, but but I remembered her. You remember the experience. The experience, the conversation. We talked for a while. It wasn't busy, so I had lots of time to visit and make. And you know what she did? She followed me on social media. That day, she friended me on Facebook. And five years later, she called me up and I sold her house. In three days, by the way. You know? Um, but you know what I mean? Like, that's just, that's where the people came from. Right. And then now I've been in this long enough. I've got some referral uh, from previous people. And I've built relationships with, with people like you and, uh, you know, that, that also send me referrals. I have great relationships with other agents in other markets. And I've sent referrals back home to Poco, um, uh, some to Dallas, some here, there, and everywhere. So that's been a lot of my business, too. People relationships. Which, from our conversation, is very important to you. Yeah. Yeah, I've never bought a lead or done the Zillow thing or whatever. Um, and when I coach new agents, when I mentor new agents, you know, there's business, right, built into your phone. Right. You just got to get over the hurdle of figuring out how to talk to them. Exactly. For me, it was there's business right there on social media. Just go make, go build a brand. Right. People, they already like you because they friended you on Facebook. They already know you because they see the inners and outers. Like they see when the kid drops the whole dozen eggs because you post that too. And then you see when, you know, they're swimming and doing a TikTok dance. And then they see when you grow cucumbers. And then they see when you dye your hair pink. And then they see when you sell a house, right? So I put it all out there. It's not, it's very real, a whole picture. But then they already know you and they already like you. And they already trust you because they see when you're transparent, they really know who they're right. getting, right. right? And that's people who do business with you are people who know, like, and trust you. Some people it's in their phone, some people it's in their family, and that's where the referrals and the people who already know them. I didn't have that, I had to go build it. Yeah. Well, um, I have a lot more questions written down, and I think we're at the hour mark. So Of course we are. <laughs> let me ask you just one more question, and I, I've asked everyone this, and um, every time I get a different interesting answer. So uh, moving forward in the next five, three to five years, what are your dreams and intentions for your life? For my whole darn life, huh? Your whole life. Um, that's a loaded question. Well, for work, I, I, I love real estate, so I plan to stay in this game. I don't know if I'll sell real estate forever um, or if that will lead to something else for me. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm very happy to help people buy and sell houses and um, become investors and even find a rental if it changes your life and it's what you need. Um, I really like the part of my job where I work with new agents, so I intend to continue to do that in the workplace. And in life, my kids are um, a little older now. Hudson will be 12 on Saturday, um, and Henley's 8. She'll be oh, 9 in the summer. So my kids are a little older now, and that has started to open up the, um, the possibilities of, like, traveling and, and stuff 
and showing them that too. Um, I really want, you know, we say that you do work to fund the life, right? Um, and I didn't, it sounds like I've traveled a lot, but that was mostly, you know, after I was 18. Mm-hmm. Um, as fa- for family vacations growing up, you know, we would mostly go on driving vacations. Very occasionally we went to down the West Coast to California or one time we went to Florida to see my dad's mom, my grandma, um, the one time, you know. Um, but we didn't do a lot of that kind of travel. And I am I'm so passionate about going different places and, and experiencing that and exposing my kids to that. In fact, I've, I've told them for a couple of years we've been talking, we talk about this, for their 13th birthday, when they are teenagers, um, I told them they could pick somewhere anywhere in the world that I have not been, slightly selfish, but only a little, <laughs> um, and we'll go there, and it'll be just you and I, just the 13-year-old and your mama, um, wherever you want to go. And Hudson was really into origami for a while, like folding paper. And so he kept telling me he wanted to go to Japan. I'm like, boo, mama's already been there. You got to pick somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so I, I, want, I look forward to the opportunity to, to show them the world a little bit more and continue to explore it on my own um, while funding it and filling my own cup by helping, helping people with this big thing in their life such a great vehicle I mean because it truly for me it's not just for the paycheck I'm literally filled up by helping change somebody's life either you buy a house you sell a house you move whatever or I'm helping these new agents sometimes build a business of their own and win in their own life um, it's huge to me sure so if I can do the both hand in hand I have won We'll die happy lady. You've won life. Win life. <laughs> I want to win life. And for me, it feels like um, I can. If I just, you know, keep on keeping on. But I, I think the, the day that your job doesn't make you happy, you got to go do something else. Because you can fund your life many different ways. I do believe this is the best way for me. Um, but yeah, like, the idea that I will be able to afford through my business, showing my kids different parts of the world, that's it. It's the big goal. I'd also like them to grow up to be kind, giving, caring people. They are. Mostly. But man, <laughs> this whole preteen thing is hard, but it's okay. It's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's fine. Well, um, I... I'm so glad that we got to talk today. Me too. And uh, it was a pleasure. You are one of my friends, and so I, I do know a lot about your day-to-day life and to learn about your past life and things that have happened to you is, it's fun. That's... Yeah. It's funny. You don't think... Um, you have no idea what you don't know about someone, mm-hmm. right? We just sometimes just know the snapshot we're living in. Sometimes it's enough. Yeah. Uh, That's part of the reason why I think always, for whatever reason, I've always tried to see the best in people. And, you know, you see these posts on social media that's this really long line. And it's like what a person is or has been through. The straight line? Yeah. A tiny little part of it is what you know about them. Uh Uh-huh. 
And so that points to the small part of what you know about a person in their life can lead you to treat them a certain way. And I always try to keep the perspective of, you know, you only know this much. You don't know everything else that has led them to this point to call you and fuss at you about something or to be really nice to you and and care about you and want to spend time with you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's hard to keep that positive mindset. And I think what I've learned from speaking with you, Jen, and Dennis so far is that I, I really don't know everything about anyone and I never will. And so many of the things that we can learn from just having a conversation with someone can change your perspective on them as a person and mm-hmm. can change your view on the world. Yeah. I mean, I really always like to see the good in people. Yeah. And being open to having a conversation with them helps in that. Yeah. For sure. I've always been told that I, um, I only remember the good stuff about something. And I always forget the, no, you really hated that job. No, I didn't. It was amazing. Well, maybe some days I hated the job or I had a really hard time with my spouse or my kid or whatever. Um, like I said, like, could Hudson just figure out how to just brush his teeth and get in bed? Just, just those that. two activities just right back to back without some sort of distraction, <laughs> right? Um, but no, like today, yes, my kids are lovely. They're wonderful. They're little angels and I love them so much, right? Because I just... There's always these parts. You don't need to take that stuff necessarily with you. It's good to learn and know and reflect and move forward. Mm-hmm. We're all formed in different ways. Right. And we have the opportunity to build our own future. Mm-hmm. We are in charge sometimes of our trajectory. Sometimes. Most of the time. Yeah. It's a series of choices. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, life is like just a series of choices. Like brushing your teeth and going to bed without not, stopping in the right. middle. It's not that hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if anybody wants to join me this evening at about eight thirty, I'll be doing that. Could you just get in bed right from brushing your Please. teeth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, if you have anything to plug, like your origami owl or your real estate business, now's the time. <laughs> Where can we find you on social media? Where's your website for all those things? Trinkets, all those all things. The things. Um, well, it feels so cheesy to plug myself, but Tiffany dot or Tiffany Pellerin dot origami owl dot com. If you'd like to order yourself a locket, yes, it's still a website. Um, that you know was such a great part of my life. I'm not ready to really completely give it up yet. Um, listen. If you got any referrals, Elena, do you know anybody who wants to buy or sell a house? That That's I a great today? question. I always tell you that I'm going to look through the contacts in my phone, uh-huh. and I do. Yeah, every and once the same in a while. three people always pop up. So. Same three. They're just not ready yet, so we'll They're wait for the right time yet. for them. Right. Uh, timing is everything. <laughs> um, no, really, I just I want to I want to toot your horn. This is a this is a cool undertaking. It's, it's it's work and it's exciting, and I think it's fulfilling for you. And I'm so grateful that you asked me to be part of it. And I can't wait to see where it goes. And I'm just going to wait for my T-shirt. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm waiting for them to get back to me. And then I'll finally order them. So, um, well, I'll wear it proudly. Yes. Yay. Yay. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, again, it was a pleasure having you. Thank and you. I can't wait for everyone to hear your story. I'm really excited. Part two coming. Part in two. February 2022. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again. Yeah. No problem. Bye. Bye. <laughs>